Idea number one is uh, maybe you don't need to be perfect in loving yourself. Sometimes we think I need to do it perfectly. And that's the beginning of the slippery slope. Maybe you should be okay with the fact that you're just human. And sometimes you will think the thoughts and feel the feelings which are not good for you. <laughs> you know, sometimes I hear how people try so hard to love themselves that they almost beat themselves for failing. <laughs> Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Here's something I know every woman can agree on. Stubborn belly fat can feel like the worst, especially when you've tried everything to lose it. Not to mention, belly fat can be dangerous for us too. According to a brand new study, women over 40 who have excessive belly fat are up to 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. And no surprise, hormones are involved in belly fat production which is actually good news because we can optimize your hormones and metabolism for a flatter stomach. And that's exactly what I'm offering to you as a free gift today. My belly slim down guide gives you three effective strategies to get rid of belly fat, along with recipes to reduce bloating, balance your blood sugar, and speed up your metabolic furnace to optimize fat burning. So grab the belly slim down guide with my proven protocols and recommendations and recipes now at drmarisa.com slash slim down. That's drmarisa.com slash slim down. And the link will be in the show notes. Sometimes, or potentially more often than that, when life feels out of control, we overcompensate by attempting to influence the things that we think we can change and it's exhausting. It's as if we got this message along the way that the more effort we put in and the better we perform, the more accomplished we are and the more worthy we feel. Yet all this message solidifies the idea that we need to push even harder and do even more in order to feel worthy of praise and love. Now, the biggest downside to not overcoming perfectionist tendencies is that you will always continue to feel anxious and stressed out. Even self-care can feel like a box that you just need to check off your list to feel better about yourself. Continuing to strive for unrealistic standards ensures that you're always demanding more of yourself and needing to commit more effort and energy towards feeling perfect. Perfectionism prevents you from tuning into who you are at the core because rather than being comfortable with your true, authentic, flossom self, you are constantly trying to live up to others' expectations or the pressure you put on yourself which makes you feel more stressed about completing tasks or accomplishing things. What's more, perfectionism can make you feel especially uncertain and reluctant to try new things as you might worry about your potential or ability to come out of your comfort zone, and it can stunt our true growth and potential. At the very least, you may struggle to find time to care for yourself and instead keep giving 150% for the sake of achieving more. This may lead you to feel resentful towards your job, your health, and relationships, as they are taking up so much of your time and energy. As a result of this constant disappointment in yourself as you strive to reach unreachable expectations. It can feel like a rat race at the end of the day because you are never truly happy with what you accomplished. And goodness knows, like many women, I have fallen into the perfectionist trap. And the outcome? Well, it never truly feels good. And I never really feel that worthy. Because so many of us, 
are stuck here and struggling to live our authentic, unapologetic life. That's why I think that today's message is so important. I was so grateful to interview Christina Manlakani about letting go of the I should, I need, I got to, I have statements that I often find myself saying to myself. Do those statements leave your mouth every single day too? Today, Christina is going to give us a new perspective on how to love ourselves, our full, authentic, flossom selves, and come from a place of self-love and compassion. Now, before we kick off this epic conversation with Christina, I want to quickly sing her praises. Christina Manlakani is the co-founder of Mind Valley, the world's most powerful life transformational platform with an ever-growing 20 million strong following. She's an entrepreneur, writer, international speaker, artist, and thermanthropist out of Estonia, and the author of Live by Your Own Rules and Seven Days to Happiness. She's got online programs on happiness, and she has a book that is literally out this week called Becoming Flossom, The Key to Living an Imperfectly Authentic Life. So I want to welcome Christina to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Christina, honey, how are you doing this fine day? I'm doing great. And and thank you for having me. And thank you for your really warm and welcoming energy. Oh, you are so welcome. We're going to be talking about really how to cultivate some really yummy, warm energy today, specifically around self-love. And Christina, honey, I just want to celebrate you in your new book coming out, Becoming Flossom. It's one of my favorite words, you know, flossom, because obviously we are imperfectly perfect or perfectly imperfect. Like we're amazing, exactly who we are. I always think of, you know, my favorite artist is Lizzo and how you can be in your stuff, but still be freaking amazing at the same time. And, you know, especially after, gosh, these last three years, it has felt like such a whirlwind of shifts and changes and how we're feeling about ourselves and, you know, how we're taking care of ourselves or a lack thereof. And so I was kind of, I feel like this book is so well-timed as we are hopefully kind of crawling out of what's been a very, very rough three years where especially my amazing community, my amazing women were really carrying so much of their family, the brunt of, of caretaking and just trying to hold the container for so many people in their lives. And I know that when that happens, we often inadvertently, accidentally kind of lose ourselves in the process or even just lose our self-care piece in the process. So I was curious, was these past three years a little bit of uh, the impetus for you feeling called to write this book? Well, um, definitely the last three years have influenced the fact that I have written the book if for nothing better than it has given me a lot of time. Uh, I mean, when, when we had to cut down on so many things that we used to do, uh, that's actually spent a lot of our time and you had all this time on your hands, then obviously you could do some things which take more dedication and more commitment. So I guess there was an impact of, of the pandemic on, on me sitting down and writing the book. But uh, I think more importantly, you know, I'm part of the world and I react and interact with the world. And obviously, I mean, you said it's a timely book, but our uh, our experience in this world is always timely. So I think that was the reason um, I just had to say what I had to say. Yes. Oh, I love it. Okay. So let's dive in. So I know a big part of this book is really about, you know, not only just cultivating self-care, but that self-care without self-love can really be, I wouldn't say diminishing returns, but we may not get as much out of it. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? Because I know people are 
you know, at, at the very least, I mean, some women are, are probably listening and thinking, I don't even have time for self-care, let alone like tapping into something deeper than that. So why does this matter? Uh, it, it does matter a lot uh, because self-care is something tangible and understandable. And even though it takes time, it's ritualistic in its nature. And we humans, we like rituals. So I've been in personal growth and transformation for 20 years. And I know what a trap it can be because it's sometimes hard to explain the essence of something to people. So we replace it with things which are much more tangible and much more understandable. So what I'm uh, trying to convey when I talk about self-care and self-love is the idea that self uh Self-care is uh, about surviving. So a very simple example, and to those who don't know the uh, don't see the video, I'm showing the my phone right now. I charge this device, my mobile phone, because if I don't do that, it's going to die and it's not going to work. And that's what self-care is about. It's about survival. You have to take care of yourself. It's uh, it's no wonder. And some people don't have time for for better self-care, but we all do self-care to a degree. We all eat. We all fall asleep, whether we like to sleep or not. We all, uh, excuse me, use the bathroom. So it is also part of self-care. It's just that some people are a little bit more, more sophisticated with their self-care rituals. And we do that because if we don't do that, we're not going to survive. Now, self-love is about thriving. And thriving is a different thing. So if I bring back the same analogy, I don't charge my phone because I love that device. It just wouldn't work. So uh, you said some people don't have time for even basic self-care. But the interesting thing is that self-love, because it's not ritualistic, it doesn't depend on uh, on traditions or rituals per se. It doesn't require time. Self-love just is 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 your your relationship with yourself of course it requires time and and dedication in terms of cultivating it like for example you get married and you need to put some effort uh some time to spend with your partner but to love someone doesn't require any time so if you don't mind i maybe finish it up with this analogy uh, it's imagine a stereotypical kid who's born to a wealthy family and the kid has everything good home good food good clothing nannies good school the only thing the kid doesn't have is the time and attention the presence of the parents we understand that that child will not grow up into a, a happy fulfilled human being because we all need love to thrive so yeah, I really do appreciate you breaking down, you know, the importance of it. And I, I do believe we, I believe this is, and this is my belief, it's that that we do feel like it's important. I don't think people are, you know, intentionally not, you know, integrating self-love and infusing self-love into self-care. I think that the busyness of life is what messes with that. And so th- I think that's that's ultimately what ends up happening, right? We ended up we end up getting caught up in in the to do list, in the urgencies, in the obligations, and that's when it kind of when it all kind of just falls to the wayside. And I totally get that that there isn't a time commitment per se in cultivating that self love piece. But I know that I know that a lot of people are really struggling with it. And so, um, yes, go on. So yeah, uh, the only reason why sometimes. Um put them on the opposites uh, of of the scale is because it's very tempting to replace self-love with self-care because self-care is something understandable. In the worst case scenario, you take a day off and you spend it with yourself and you you have done something. Now, self-love is not so clear. And I have also asked myself, because, you know, I've been in personal growth for 20 years. I've sold so many and I've created a platform for that education. So I understand that self-love is not a very marketable topic. 
We call it soft skill. And my question is, why do we call it soft skill? Is it because we think it's easy? It's unimportant. So I've asked myself that question. Why is it that people kind of push it aside? And I see there are a few reasons. Reason number one, and the, probably the most typical reason is that we think that we have other problems in life which are more important. I have business to run. And for example, I don't know, uh, there's economic crisis looming. My employees are leaving, something like that. Or my teenage child doesn't listen to me. Or my marriage is on the rocks. We always think that I have a problem in business, in family, in relationships, which is more important than my relationship with myself without realizing. But in reality, you have a personal problem which projects onto your business onto your family, onto your relationships. We don't understand that causality. We think that we'll have time for self-love when all our other problems are solved without realizing that very often that is the crucial piece which is required to solve the other problems. The other reason why I think people um, don't deal with self-love is we don't understand it. We don't know what it is. What is self-love? We think that we live in a society which is self-obsessed, which is we have so much you know, selfishness. And, but these are not the examples of extreme self-love. These are the, the examples of the lack of self-love. Let's say you go on social media and you see all those polished facades and you think, but isn't that the excess of self-love? But in reality, this is people seeking love and admiration from without because they can't give it to themselves. Well, let's define what it is and let's define why it's important. You know, because I think when I, gosh, even I'm, you know, and I, I feel like I know what self-love is. I always feel like it's like, you know, really, you know, loving yourself just because, and it's knowing you're worthy, you know, no matter what. But I, I have a feeling you have a, a deeper, de- deeper definition of that. It's, you know, choosing you in a way that is, is going to support you. But I would love to hear kind of, you know, how, you know, in after, you know, being a co-founder of of Mind Valley, which a lot of people can, can have probably seen videos for and have really been in this this world of transformation and personal development of all the things that are super, you know, important in terms around mindset and um you know, overcoming limiting beliefs and and self-care and, you know, all the facets of of reducing stress levels, you know, where does yeah, kind of how does self-love anchor all of those things? So it's it's quite a few questions. And I think it's really fair to start with uh, with definitions. Any science starts with a definition. And unfortunately, I don't have a good definition for self-love because I think you're the first person who ever asks me. So how do you define it? Uh, but I do like to work with analogies because analogies are much easier to uh, implement in your life. If you see the example, you kind of relate and you, you make adjustments to your own circumstances. So I learned the idea of healthy, unconditional and effortless love when my child was born. And uh, by the way, I'm not this ideal mother who the first glance on my child, I I was in love with my boy. No, I was so scared. (laughs) I was calling the nurse like five times during the night until the nurse said, mommy, chill. It's a human being. He has moods. So I I had a a rocky relationship with my child. But what I understood is that despite you know, despite my kids' imperfections, my oldest child has Asperger's, so he's been a, he has been quite a trying relationship for me in my personal life. But I realized that to love someone unconditionally means that you're going to love them, not despite the imperfections, but with them, 
and maybe even because of them. Because what makes my child special for me, and he's an amazing human being, is exactly everything which maybe we consider imperfections. In fact, imperfection is the is in the nature of nature. I mean, it's in the human nature, and it's 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 how nature works. The evolution happened through imperfections, through mutations, through things which were not strictly speaking normal. So I learned I learned the idea of unconditional love through everything when I, I had my first child. But I also learned that love and a relationship, a healthy relationship is not about, say, indulgence or complacency, because we want, we can forgive our children almost anything, but we still want them to become better. We still want them to grow. We still want them to evolve. And that's another trap. A lot of people are worried that there is too much self-love. And if I love myself too much, I will stop growing. Take me as I am. You see, I'm like this. I like myself. You have to like my, uh, me too. But that's that's not truly the healthy relationship. So the definition of self-love, <laughs> a simplest definition of self-love, is the most important relationship in your life. Who's that person who in your life is literally uh, forms the most important relationship? Because your relationship with yourself is going to be you know, reflecting your relationship with the world. Your relationship with the world is the reflection of your relationship with yourself. If you learn to love yourself unconditionally, it's so much easier to love the world. If you learn to be forgiving for with yourself, it's so much easier to forgive others. If you learn to be tolerant, patient with yourself, it's so much easier to be tolerant and patient with the others. So in my case, I learned it all through my children. They taught me patience. They taught me unconditional love and um, and love through imperfections and with imperfections. Well, I just want to take a moment and, and just say how much I appreciate that analogy and the example. And I know so many mamas and aunties and uncles on the call can really relate to that unconditional love. I know I'm a mama to my son and I definitely you know, who I needed to become and, you know, and what, what came, became effortless for me when, you know, when, when he stepped into my world, like, wow, it was such a massive transformation. Um, and so I can totally feel that. And I'd love to believe that I, I have a lot of self-love for myself and definitely self-compassion in those moments, especially in many mama moments. But I was curious, you know, I, I can see, you know, as we're listening to this incredible conversation, and I'm just so, so grateful that you've written this book you know, I, I know that a lot of people do struggle with this. And when it comes to just cultivating and finding it, do you recommend that we do that through inquiry? Is it, you know, how do we, how do we kind of get to the essence of loving ourselves? Is there, because I know people were like, where, how do I start? I would love to love myself, but I find myself with these limiting beliefs or these things that people told me when I was four years old that I still believe to be true. You know, I give myself such a hard time, you know, a lot of guilt and shame, even in even in motherhood, for goodness sakes, in, in weight loss, in, in health journeys, you know, you know, and that gets us really stuck. So, you know, how do we begin to, you know, kind of tease out falling in love with ourselves and, you know, falling in love with our true authenticity, like who we truly are? Well, uh, you know... As you, as you said, it, it, it requires some time and commitment, but it's not so much time per se as like, you know, I have to do certain uh, rituals. It's we have certain patterns in our, well, brain, I would say in our behavior uh, and 
to break those patterns and to change those patterns, of course, we need sometimes because our behavioral patterns are in essence habits and habits require time to change. It's not a time as in I have to sit down and do something, but just notice and have some patience. Uh, what I love about your the very start of your question, you said, is that the inquiry? Yes. The best, the short, the very, very short answer that I can give you is replace judgment with curiosity. Just this one simple thing, replace judgment with curiosity. So rather than judging that yourself, oh, I'm being a bad mom or shouldn't I be doing that? Replace it with curiosity. Oh, I wonder why do I feel like this? Or I wonder why did I react like this? Or I wonder what does this feeling tell me about me? So replacing judgment with curiosity is a very good start. But generally in personal growth or in any kind of growth and transformation. The fundamental skill is, of course, awareness. It starts with awareness. Everything starts with awareness. I believe your audience doesn't require a lecture on awareness. You guys know what it is. But once you switch that thing on, you will start noticing things. Now, in uh, my book, I talk about three uh, main elements on the path to self-love. Uh, one of them is honesty. And that's a very interesting topic and a rabbit hole because we can't love ourselves unless we are honest with ourselves, unless we know who we love. So a very simple example, in falling in love with another person, there is this interesting phenomenon, you know, <laughs> nature, <laughs> it drugs you. So we all, whenever, whenever we find a new love interest or a new love partner, and I'm talking about people who are not maybe committed yet, there is somewhere on the subconscious, the idea of what makes someone an ideal partner for us. So when we meet a person who starts ticking the, the boxes, we start falling in love. And what nature does, because nature wants us to, <laughs> you know, reduce more kids. <laughs> so what it does is that we start focusing on those, uh, on those uh, things which check the boxes and we ignore the red flags. So in essence, what happens is that we fall in love with an idea. It's not a real human being. We fall in love with an idea. Of course, after a while, your biology takes a step back and, and gives you back to yourself and you start seeing the real person. And then you have a choice. Am I going to love the real person who is most likely imperfect, or at least doesn't tick all the boxes and there are some red flags, or I'm going to be disillusioned, turn around and leave? So we have a similar thing happening in our relationship with ourselves. And I know that very well because people who come to personal growth and transformation to our industry, they all have an idea what it means to be the best version of me, that picture of perfection. And that's the idea. And then when you discover that there are red flags or you don't correspond to that picture, you really don't have a choice of turning around and leaving because you're stuck with yourself. Are you willing to love yourself before you are perfect? That's when we need the love the most. Or are you going to be disillusioned? Are you going to close the eyes on the, close your eyes on the fact that, that your reality is, there is a gap between the real you and the picture of perfection. And we humans are not taught how to deal with that gap, with that gap between the real version of you and the aspirational version of you. And, you know, you, you said it so correctly, We've, we haven't been taught that because from childhood, we are taught to earn love. If you behave, your well-meaning parents, peers, friends, uh, teachers, they show you love, they shower you with love. If you don't listen to your mom, to your teacher, to your friend, as a punishment, very often what, what we see is that as a punishment, love is being withdrawn. 
And I've done that too. I've done that to my children. So naturally we learn, we grow up and we learn, and that's a pattern which is really deep in our nature. We learn the pattern that to deserve love, you have to be almost perfect. You have to do the right thing. You have to behave the right way. You have to have the right accomplishments. Now, later in a grown-up life, we carry this pattern into our relationship with ourselves. Yes, of course, I love myself when I'm good, when I take care of myself, when I follow my self-care rituals. But if I'm not perfect, if I'm not good, then I need to punish myself with not loving myself. Um, my question, I just love that. I, and I agree. I agree with you 100%. And, and and I hope, you know, in terms of parenting that we're really shifting that dynamic. I know we work, my husband and I work really hard to my, ensure no matter what my son is doing and exploring that he feels unconditionally supported no matter what, even in his worst tantrums, his worst moments, you know, we're, we're always loving him. And so I'm, I'm hoping that we get to break that ancestral pattern <laughs> that has come down the line. Um, but still that's happened. That happened to me. I'm sure that happened to my husband. Um, it's happened to so many of us. And, you know, I want to go back to the piece of awareness, because as you mentioned, you know, it, it's that it's the, those subconscious drivers, it's those subconscious beliefs that come into play, even when we want something so bad, even when we're like, oh, I'm just, I'm feeling so good about myself. Oh, but, you know, I watched my mom, this happened to her and it's probably going to happen to me. Like there's this conscious talk track in there that's just running, you know, and for some people it's really running their lives. You know, we, you know, our thoughts are not who we are, but man, sometimes it can really feel that way. And so as you're talking about, you know, one, awareness, curiosity, creating the gap and in, in, in thinking, oh, whoa, that's, I'm giving myself a hard time right now. I'm beating myself up because I don't have enough energy to work out today and I'm failing at this. You, we want to obviously want to tease out, like, this is my body's way of really supporting me and loving me and telling me that today isn't the day. But I was just curious. I wanted to dive into a little bit more of those questions of like, when we see that negative talk coming through or we see those little beliefs popping up that start, again, start pulling us away from unconditionally loving ourselves. I, I know in the beginning that, that it's so hard to like pause and be like, oh, here it comes, the, the talk track. Here comes the old record. It's, you know, it's, and sometimes it can be so seductive because <laughs> it nails you right at the right time. You know, it feels like you're, you're validating those thoughts in that moment. How can we give ourselves a little bit more space and grace in love in those moments where it can feel so seductive to believe those negative thoughts, which were maybe your mama's thoughts or your dad's thoughts or that mean teacher of third grade, that you know, her thoughts or his thoughts. How do we how do we create more space so that we start to heal those subconscious, that subconscious patterning? So I'll first uh, make a comment on, on what you just said, and then I'll give you one very simple technique. <laughs> it's not so simple, actually. It's pretty painful. But I'll give it. I was going to say simple, but yeah, I'm a painful. Idea number one is uh, maybe you don't need to be perfect in loving yourself. Sometimes we think I need to do it perfectly. And that's the beginning of the slippery slope. Maybe you should be okay with the fact that you're just human. And sometimes you will think the thoughts and feel the feelings which are not good for you. And they come there for a reason. And, um, the, you know, sometimes I hear how people try so hard to love themselves that they almost beat themselves for failing. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, this is a, and I'm just curious, I know you have something more to say here, 
But isn't this, this is an always pursuit, right? It's an always pursuit, isn't it? But isn't that the beauty of it? Can you imagine if at this very moment, you, your best, most perfect self, what would you do for the rest of your life? But that aside, uh, you know, we do have the uh, self-talk track uh, in our heads uh, always, as one of our mind value teachers, me meditation teachers says uh, so beautifully, Emily Fletcher, she says, you know, if you have thoughts when you meditate, it's because you're alive. <laughs> you will not have thoughts when you die. So self-talk is, is a natural process of our brain functioning, I believe, and our consciousness being awakened. But uh, what I suggest is um, this exercise, I actually, uh, I, I saw it in one of the ads, uh, and I suggest you try it. You spend one day writing down your self-talk. And you start early in the morning, you go to the bathroom, you look at yourself in the mirror. What's the self-talk that you, you know, you look at yourself, oh my God, I didn't have enough sleep. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Write it down. Carry a notebook with you just for this one day and write down your self-talk. Uh, especially if you have a challenging day, you know, you have a fight, you lash out at someone and maybe you feel that, oh, maybe I, I was too emotional. Write it all down. Or the better, better yet, the moments when you feel that you don't perform at your best. Like I learned to ride a bike at 43. And, uh, you know, when I started, I started, I decided to start riding my bike to the office. I would lose balance and I would start, I, I would start at myself like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you, why, like you've been doing that for a long time. What's going on? So write it all down, but honestly, and don't, don't stop yourself. As I said, rather judgment, curiosity, don't judge yourself. Oh, here it comes again. Here's that pattern again. Here's my, my, I don't know, third grade teacher talk. Don't judge yourself. Just curiosity. Oh, really? Mm, that's what I'm saying. And then the, I, I would normally like to give the second part uh, the next day after people write down their self-talk. So <laughs> I'll have to trust that you'll still do that, honestly, the self-talk. Then the second part is when you come home, you find that person whom you love so unconditionally and so effortlessly. And you ask that person to read that self-talk back to you. And then you ask them how they felt. And if you are very brave, you can actually take your self-talk and read it back to the person that you love. Try it. Try replacing. Not, Christina, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just get it? But my dear child, what's wrong with you? Why are you such a failure? Try it. And that's going to be really eye-opening. We always think that we love ourselves so well because we ask that questions of ourselves when we feel good. But when we need self-love the most is exactly those moments. You know, like with a child, when the child is happy, it's okay to say, I love you. But you need to say to the child that you love that child when the child is in tears, when the child is scared. And that's what we want to do to ourselves. In those moments, we are especially hard on ourselves. So try this exercise. And if you, if you want, you can take a moment of introspection after that and just ask yourself, why, why are you so hard on yourself? Yeah, I mean that's that's that question. Those are those are that that's the inquiry of why, you know, and and get digging into it. And you know, in my experience, I've been working on a lot of this personally, you know, and and I'm I, you know a lot of awareness, a lot of kind of just like, huh, that's interesting that this is coming up. And you know, I know that that over time, the more that we have this awareness, and the more that we have, we come from a place of extra grace required and loving unconditionally, it gets easier. 
But then you're going to have those hard days where that stuff just comes right back up again, right? And it's going to be a little bit easier to manage over time. But I do know that it's a practice like anything else. And it's a practice, you know, not only in awareness, but like kind of just shifting in, like you had said, there's a forgiveness of just allowing those thoughts to come. But but I'm guessing is that you're, you know, you're kind of like, you know, especially your 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 little self who's probably trying to drive the bus at that moment, <laughs> my little Marisa or little Christina, you know, just telling them that it's okay and that you've got this, you know. If you don't mind, I'll give you another analogy. You know, when you, when you go to the gym, I had a gym day today. You add weights to whatever you are lifting and 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 doing there because if you don't add weights you won't exercise right and if if you've exercised enough with a certain weight you increase weights so in life it's the same the moments when you've uh, slammed a break on your self-love in the moment when you needed it it's like adding weight it gives you a chance to practice so these moments are actually to be cherished because here i'll get to practice it once again to bring it up to try it and that's that's how our muscles grow and that's how our self muscle self love muscle grows. I love the reframe. It's such a great reframe. You're like, I get to do this. I actually I had that moment in the gym yesterday. I was feeling I haven't been sleeping well, um conflicting priorities and as a mom you understand like I'm choosing my son, you know, then rather than sleeping because he's waking up and there's all kinds of stuff going on. And so it's a competing priority and my son wins wins that priority. But <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, I have not been very well resourced these last couple of weeks and I've really been feeling it and I've debated whether to cancel my personal training appointment. And let me tell you, my personal trainer has no sympathy for whether I'm tired or not and I show up. And so yesterday I was, I was with him and, you know, he's just like, you know, you just need to keep moving. And I was like, no, I need to sleep is what I need to do. Like I knew, you know, I knew like I need to honor my body, but I'm there anyway. And, um, you know, the first part of the workout, I was just in a funk about it because I knew he was going to kick my butt whether I was resourced or not. I did show up though, right? I showed up to do it. But then a song came on, one of my favorite songs, a Sophie Tucker song. And um, in the middle of one of my, you know, one of his big workout sets that he had for me, and I just shifted my mindset. I, I, I also do Peloton workouts. And one of my favorite instructors there is, um, her name's Jess Sims. And she always talks about how we get to do this. We, it's a privilege to be here. You had, someone's taking care of your son so that you could be here. You know, somebody, your business is being ran because so that you could be here. So I just, I shifted my mindset really quickly because I was just in a kind of like a, uh, trying to just get through this workout to up-leveling it and just saying, I just, I get to be here. I have legs. I can lift this 30 pound weight right now. Like I just up-leveled in my weight. I get to do this. It's a privilege to get to be here, to have a car, to drive here. And the second half of my workout was so much better because I just shifted. I shifted the way I felt about it. And, um, you know, even though I was a little under-resourced, you know, it's amazing how much a good song <laughs> and mindset can be in just shifting the experience, you know, and, and turning it into a really positive, really nur nourishing experience versus kind of slogging through it, you know. I think about that in terms of self-love too, of just like, you can really just be in the energy of beating yourself down, or you can be in the energy of really loving the practice of loving yourself. 
Well, uh, I heard, I actually can't remember who exactly said that, but in one of the many trainings I've attended, I've heard this, uh, also this interesting idea, you know, when you deprive yourself of your self-love in those moments when you have underperformed, it's like, you know, you you have the first wound and then you stab the wound again. Because uh, in psychology, there's this interesting idea that the stress is not as bad for you per se as the stress about the stress, the secondary stress. So for example, if you can't fall asleep at night, the exhaustion to your body is not as bad to you as stressing about not being able to fall asleep at night. So I think that self-love layer to everything is exactly what removes, removes that secondary stress, which is truly dangerous to you. And sometimes it just happens so that we don't have enough sleep. Sometimes it happens so that we had that, you know, that cake that we were not supposed to, or had a glass of wine too much when we were not supposed to. And, you know, a doctor once told me, the glass of wine for you is not as bad as the stress that you're feeling about having had it. Yeah. It's, it's being in the suffering. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to like be in a, it's rumenting, you know, um, on it. It's suffering upon suffering. Yeah. Your body is, you know, you're feeling it, you're, you're tired and you're kind of getting, but then the, the ruminating on that, that suffering or that stress or whatever. Yeah. It's, I mean, gosh, you're just, it's like a, it's like a suffering squared. Like this teacher that I don't remember who it was said, like stabbing a wound a second time. Yeah. It's exactly what that is. I, you know, that's been probably, um, you know, I feel like it was a new earth with Eckhart Tolle that I really, really appreciated, you know, talking about like being in the suffering of your suffering. Like you said, stabbing the wound twice. And I was like, ugh, like, and I've spent so many of my years when I was younger in resentment or in, in anger and just in my suffering. And I was like, and gosh, it really sucks to be there. Like, it's like, I'm like, you know, it never felt good. (laughs) The only person who suffered in it was me. Like I was no one, the person I was upset about or the situation I was mad about, it doesn't care one way or the other where I stand. And it's just, I'm just putting undue suffering on myself. And so I love that example because it is so powerful and it is so tangible as well. You know, one of the things that, you know, I know this kind of ties into it. I think this is one of the reasons why we do find ourselves not loving ourselves is society, is the societal pressures and um, and kind of how society wants us to operate in this world. I feel like society really, <laughs> I always say I, I've operated in my trauma for so many years, but man, society loved it. Like society loved that I was an overachiever. Society loved that I worked myself to burnout. Society loved that I've got all the, you know, the accolades. Like that's what what drives us. But I will tell you, I beat myself up so much in the process of it. But I got, you know, but in the external world, it was like, this is how we live life. And so, you know, I know that we can get stuck in the trap of that as well. How is that sabotaging our ability to to unconditionally love ourselves? Well, um, you know, it's definitely very tempting to, to say that, uh, that it is a society that um, deprives us of our ability to love ourselves. <laughs> Definitely, we learn the patterns when we, I mean, when we're children, we have to learn them from somewhere. So it is from the outside at some point. But I do talk about uh, the fork in the road that a lot of us are facing very often when you have to make a choice between success and, and happiness. Uh, for example, a very simple example, will you uh, study uh, something which you're passionate about or something which will give you a good career? Or will you go for a corporate job, which generally 
generally, if you make a career there, people consider you a success or you do your own thing and you risk uh, being uh, financially not so successful. So very often when people are faced with that choice, they choose success over happiness. And yes, there is a component of society, uh, society's expectation. I know that when, when our two social roles are in conflict, we tend to prioritize the social role, which is more valued by society. For example, a mother and an entrepreneur. Uh, entrepreneurs are more valued by society. We choose to prioritize that role over our role as a mother. But with that said, yes, we do have a tendency to choose a path or the social role, which is more valued by society or seen as more valuable by society. In reality, the choice is yours. And uh, that's a hard pill to swallow. And even if you have, and of course, I have to make a little disclaimer. I'm talking about people who live in uh, fairly rich democratic countries. Uh, the world is very big and there are still a lot of people out there who don't get to make choices about their life. But most of the people who listen to this <laughs> to this show, they, they probably can, can make choices for their own life. Very often we choose it because we don't like ambiguity and we don't like risk and we like to pick certainty. And like with self-love and self-care, success is a more tangible, more ritualistic, more understandable thing, more practical thing. Whereas happiness or your uh, what your heart says or what, what you're inclined to, your intuition, these are the things which we can't explain. So we think there's a risk. So we choose success over happiness, partially because society values success more than happiness. But more than that, because we don't like ambiguity and we don't like risk. Because if you ask what is the most important thing for us in life, if you ask enough times, why are you doing certain things? It comes eventually to the answer because I want to be happy. Happiness is what we wish for the people that we love. Happiness is what we wish to each other on our birthdays, anniversaries, whatnot. It's happiness. We wish happiness. We, prior we think it's important, but we don't prioritize it because it's, it feels like a risky choice. So I know it's incredibly tempting to say that I'm doing certain things because you know the society uh, wants me to do or the peer pressure, but, but we, have to, we also have to have the, the courage to be honest with ourselves and to say that this is the choice that we're making. This is the choice, the free choice that we are making. And I know it's a, it's a somewhat unpleasant pill to swallow, but I'll, I'll give a very practical example. When me and my now ex-husband Vishen decided to separate, it was kind of hard to uh, communicate this decision to the world. And you would say that a lot, of, uh, a lot of the people in the world had an opinion about our decision and, and expressed that opinion. And maybe they had nothing to do with that. But when I was communicating this decision to the world, there were only a handful of people whose opinion really mattered whose opinion uh, I, I was afraid of or whose reaction I was afraid of. It was my, my children and my, my parents and maybe the closest friend. If you, if you make that post or that story on Instagram, yeah, you see how many people liked or watched it, but you're looking out for this one person, this one, you know, this one opinion, because the world doesn't really matter as much to us as we would like to say. It doesn't. It's just a very easy excuse. Yeah. And I think some people just feel like they're just, I don't think, I think maybe sometimes people don't know that there's even a choice. Um, my, my mom just came back from a retreat that she, you know, that I, I was, I was really excited to send her, help her send her to, um, in Joshua tree. And one of the questions that she was asked, and I mean, she never had even thought about this before, 
but like whose life are you inadvertently living? And she's like, oh my gosh, I've been living this life that I had no idea I was living. And I was like, really? I'm like, I knew you were, I knew it. And so it was, it was interesting. Like, I think sometimes people are so, they don't realize that they ever had a choice, you know, until they really start to dig deep. We, you know, we, we do make the choices. We do. But we just, the reasoning is just coming from a different place because we are taught that we can't trust our heart. We can't trust our intuition. We are taught that we have to think of other people, you know, make a responsible choice. Don't be selfish. Is divorce a selfish choice? You know, it's a questionable thing. I know a lot of people will disagree with me, but, and I will say something absolutely shocking if you take it out of context. Your biggest moral obligation and responsibility is to be happy and at peace with yourself. Because what your loved one, uh, loved ones want is not your success, not your perfection. They want you to be happy. That's what they truly want. And if you, if you say, I'm doing this for them, uh, or I'm doing this for someone else, that's just a story you like to tell yourself. I had a business partner. Uh, we've been uh, separated for such a long time, but I've had a business partner in a business uh, I had in Russian, in Russia, that was a long time ago. And, uh, you know, our relationship actually went really sour after three years of working together. And for three years, I didn't dare to raise the question. I thought, I can't tell my business partner that it's not working out because what if it breaks the business and I have Uh, I have partners, I have clients, I have, uh, you know, authors that I'm publishing. I have responsibilities. We, we, We tell the story. As an entrepreneur, I have to swallow my pride, my happiness, put it to the side because I have more important problems to solve. Do you remember the beginning of our conversation? My problems in business are not more important than my personal problems. My personal problems are projecting onto my business. So it took me three years to find the courage to separate with this business partner. And it literally, it ended up so bad. We just couldn't move on anymore. It was such a dead end. There was no choice. And I remember writing that letter to her and and sending it off. It took me half an hour to write a short letter saying that I think it's not working. Shall we separate? Because I just couldn't, I couldn't make this step. It felt like the end of the world. And how dare I? And then when we separated, of course, it felt so, I felt relieved. But the the, the punchline is here. A few years later, there was this woman who worked with me through our partnership, through our separation and afterwards. And three years later, she came to me and she said, you know what, Christina, you were putting up the brave face, trying to make it work for us without realizing that we all suffered because we saw the truth. And what a relief it was when you finally broke up. Very often, the sacrifice that we make for the people that we love is such a heavy burden for them to carry. And it's such a story. You know, when I finally summoned courage to separate, I realized that that story about me as a good entrepreneur having to put myself to the background was just a cover-up story for my courage, for the lack of it. I was afraid. That was the only truth. I was just afraid to be by myself. It was powerful. And I, yeah, I think a lot of us find ourselves in very similar circumstances in regards to relationships, you know, and being tethered, you know, by things we think are important when they're not. So I feel you 100% on that. And I'm so grateful that you shared that with us. I know that this book is going to be such a beautiful you know, a framework for kind of giving us how we can live within our authenticity, 
how we can truly connect in our in our happiness and how we can make choices from a place of self-love, which is, you know, the best place to operate in. And, you know, I am so glad that you took the time with me today to really tease out what that looks like and how we can do it, you know, despite how many, you know, whether whether they're perceived excuses or real excuses, whatever whatever those excuses may be that may we think that are getting in the way. Mm. That's why we start with an awareness, honesty, and curiosity. <laughs> we have to to get to the you know to the truth. Otherwise, we can't un- undo the puzzle. I, I agree, Christina, honey. Outside of um, of Mind Valley and your website, honey, where else would you want us to find you? And I'm going to link to the book "Becoming Flossom" inside of the show notes. Anywhere else you would love us to plug in, or anything about the book you would love us to plug into. So, of course, uh, the, the best thing you can do for a new author is to get their books home, the, the best place. But if, if you want just ongoing communication, my handle everywhere is Christina Mand. And I'm like anybody nowadays, I'm everywhere, <laughs> omnipresent <laughs> on all social media, I mean. <laughs> yes, no, I, perfect. We will link up to all of that. And again, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your gifts and sharing your brilliance with us. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Well, the biggest lesson I walked away from this interview was this. We are all freaking amazing and we are showing up to do our best. And that level of best is plenty. You are enough and you are worthy. We all are. I see you and I see how hard you work and sacrifice for those around you. And for that, you deserve all the awards and wins and self-love and self-care. Now, if this interview inspired you in any way, I want to invite you to check out Christina's amazing new book that is out right now called Becoming Flossom, The Key to Living an Imperfectly Authentic Life. I will have the link in the show notes. You can buy it anywhere where books are sold. And if there was anything that you walked away from this episode, please take a moment and subscribe to the show for more content just like this. And if you have a second, rate the show so that more women who are looking to become the CEO of their health have an entryway, have a path towards becoming just that. Until the next episode, have an amazing day. 